Good afternoon, everyone. This is Keith Hanlick, Music Man, and we're here to talk to Ciro Hurtado for the Final on Vinyl podcast. Hello, Ciro. Hi, Keith. How are you? How are you today? Pretty good, thank you. I appreciate you coming on board today to talk about your recent release, uh, which I covered back in August, titled Luna, which means moon. And um, what a lot of people are interested in, as, as well as myself, of course, is what your process is in, in recording and you know, what brought you to that point to record Luna after this long career you have behind you with many recordings and producing your own music. Uh, just wondering what that was like for you. Um, well, I, I had started <clears throat> uh, Luna in, at the beginning of, actually, at the, at the end of 2019, I was already thinking of recording. So at the beginning of 2020, uh, last year, I started uh, recording Luna, um, or pretty much selecting the material and uh, the instrumentation, planning and writing. And then, uh, well, we were all confined. Uh, pretty much um, at the beginning of 2020. And so uh, what was going to be a project in, uh, I have a studio at home, a home studio, you know, um, people come here and record. So I, I did it uh, uh, remotely, pretty much with even more people that I had planned, and, uh, that I had anticipated. Um, at the end, I had an orchestra uh, recording in uh, Venezuela, a full orchestra for one of my pieces that I had written about uh, 25 years ago that I had never chance, uh, had never had the chance to release uh, oh. because I could I couldn't afford an orchestra, but uh, <laughs> it was a perfect time. I think everybody was confined, but. Uh, I think the orchestra recorded in the studio in in in, uh, in Venezuela, in a town called uh, pretty close to Colombia. So uh, this uh, particular project, I had a lot of pieces in mind, and I started writing and I started recording, and then just sending it out to different musicians in different parts of the world <clears throat> to add uh, tracks. I see. Well, it's pretty common nowadays to put together an album that way rather than meeting everybody in the studio, you know, and particularly these last few years with the pandemic, you know, so um, it came together very nicely for you. I, I enjoyed the album, uh, play guitar beautifully, and uh, you did compose all of those tracks, correct? Correct. I did compose all those tracks. Um, I usually write a, um, a couple of more pieces and then I I select the ones that uh, I like the most, and then I, that, that's the, the final product that uh, what you have. I see. How does it? How does the music come to you? I mean, do, does it come to you just when you start playing? Is it uh, you know specifically planned out day by day? I mean, how does that happen for you? It just seems magical to me that people are able to do what you do. I um, I work pretty much, the, I think, the same way they do it in Nashville from nine to five, and I that's that's uh, that's how I like to do it. I sit down with the guitar, I start early in the morning, and then I um, I just start, you know, getting ideas, uh, writing with the guitar mainly, um, and uh, usually sometimes I start, not sometimes, most of the time I start with a <clears throat> with a motif in guitar 
or a chord progression in guitar. And then I start, uh, if it's a song, I start writing the lyrics, um, just basic lyrics. And, and that's what it takes me the most, uh, write lyrics, because I'm, I'm not a lyricist. So I, I, uh, although I have been writing lyrics since my very first album, yes, I have been writing lyrics. But uh, that, that's a little more difficult for me to write lyrics. But in terms of melodies, I, I'm pretty quick. I, I come with the melodies. I, what I do is um, I have on my phone, I just record uh, all the ideas, the, the draft, and then I keep on refining it. If it's a solo guitar, uh, I keep on refining it until I, I pretty much learn the whole piece and, uh, and I record it. Uh, when it's lyrics, I, uh, what I do, I do, uh, I sing, but just for, for a demo because I'm not a singer. And then I send it out to the singer I want to work with. And then we start working on the key because usually the, the key is different than, uh, than mine. So we start doing that. But pretty oh, much I, 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 I start with, um, with, a, with, with chords and I, or a hook and an idea, and then I just develop after that. Okay. So your recordings go back to the 70s, is that right? Yes. Yes, I started recording. The, uh, I, yeah, I, my, my first actually recordings uh, came out in 1973, I should say, which was... Uh, I think it was a master lacquer at that time because it didn't make it to actual albums because I oh. think, uh, but uh, they, it was played on the radio because that's what they needed. Uh, I recorded in a studio in, in, in Peru, in Lima, and uh, one of my songs, one of my compositions, and we recorded in a, in a studio of a radio station. And then uh, what was going to be a, a 45 RPM, it just, I think stayed in the in the la, in the lacquer in the master, but uh, that was all sent to all the radio stations in Lima. So I was able to listen to my my song on the on the radio for the very first time when I was pretty young, and uh, it was very exciting because my my parents were very proud of me. <laughs> they, I was I on the radio. <laughs> yeah, that's it's very very cool to hear that kind of story. It, it must be a, a thrill, you know. And uh, do you have any vinyl out there that is available you can buy it or is it hard to find uh, the, the the vinyl that it's uh i think hard to find it was recording in 1985 and it's uh, it was recorded by uh, i had a band uh, at that time that uh, I, I formed the name was Wayukaltia, and that was our very first album that we recorded here in los angeles and that came out in, in vinyl i uh, i you know uh, when the Amoeba, the, uh, the record uh, store here in Los Angeles, I think the, the only one left over. Uh, I don't know whether in Los Angeles or nationwide. I mean, a, a major one that uh, ha- had it there. Uh, I, I used to go and see it. And in fact, I even bought one because I couldn't get it for myself. But actually, <laughs> I, think you can, I, think, but I think you can get it now. Amazon used ones, and you can get the, the very first vinyl that I did here with, with the band. With, mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. I hear that all the time. You know, artists, you know, toil away in the studios and put something together, and then they have a hard time getting a copy for themselves. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's that's what happened to us because I, I wanted to have more of the vinyl. I have my my own copy that it's uh, 
pristine. I just played a few times, but I wanted to get a copy to play more often. So mm-hmm. um, I, I was given one by someone, a used one. So I have, I think, two, two copies. So you're originally from Peru and based in L.A., is that correct? Correct. I was born in Peru, and um, I came to Los Angeles when I, was, when I turned 20. Um, I, was, I was living in Peru and uh, very seriously started uh, uh, learning the guitar, uh, listening to uh, Latin American uh, folk music from Peru, but it just happened that the Beatles arrived at that time, I mean, uh, in the world. So uh, I, I went crazy for the Beatles. So I started learning how to play Beatles and rock and the whole British invasion. So I was very much into rock and blues at that time. But at the same time, playing uh, Latin American music and especially Peruvian folk music. So that's what I grew up with, both influences, rock and roll, blues, and uh, folk music from Peru. So that's what your, your parents were playing, folk music, all the time when you were growing up? Correct, because my father is uh, from the Andean region, from the highlands in Lima, in Peru, actually, in, in, a, in a small town uh, pretty close to the capital, but it's pretty way up in the Andes. So there were many migrations, uh, because Lima is, uh, Peru has a very, very centralized city, which is the capital, Lima. Uh, even at that time, it was, uh, it was a very, very major uh, destination for pretty much from, from, for everybody who came from the countryside, from the small towns around the country. So there, was, there were migrations from the provinces uh, to Lima, uh, many migrations at the beginning of the 1900s, uh, in the 50s, in the 60s. So my, my father was one of those, I guess, in the 50s, he came to Lima. So usually people from the provinces, uh, from the highlands, they would, they would listen to, to their, the music from the area which was folk music, Andean music. So my father would listen every Sunday. He would listen uh, to this radio station that would play music from his hometown. So he would listen very loud, and I, it annoyed me because it was a Sunday. I wanted to sleep, but every single Sunday morning he played it. And uh, I ended up <clears throat> liking it and learning how to play it. And uh, about the same time also I learned, uh, you know, pop and rock music from the, from the U.S. and <clears throat> England. Yeah, you're very diverse. I mean, that's quite a, a range of, of styles, you know, and genres. And you said the people migrated uh, down to the city. They came from the mountains. They migrated down to the city. Is that what you meant? Or they came from different countries? Uh, from the mountains, yeah, not from different countries. Uh, but, but pretty pretty much uh, at, at that uh, time, uh, it, it almost meant to another country because people – had never been to Lima. Lima was the major city in, and it is the major city in Peru. So even at that time to travel from small towns and small cities around the country, it was uh, sometimes people had to walk because there were no, uh, you know, airplanes or roads or, or, or trains or anything like that. So it, it was a major ordeal to travel at that time. Now, uh, I, Peru is very well connected by road and by airplane, but at that time, it was much, much less. You had to walk certain times, at certain times. Ah, uh, okay. So have you been to Machu Picchu? Yes, I've been there a few times. Um, in fact, in the 80s, 
uh, when I uh, was uh, playing with the with the band uh, that I mentioned uh, called Wayukaltia, we wanted to make a video. Well, actually, it wasn't at that time. It wasn't a video. I think it was a film. And uh, we went to uh, to Machu Picchu, to Cusco, to Lima. From Lima, you go to Cusco. From Cusco, you take the train to Machu Picchu. And we ended up uh, after getting so many permits from the cultural ministry and so many uh, bureaucratic crises that we had. Uh, anyway, so we we got the permit and we 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 filmed some some yeah some you know real. Uh, playing Machu Picchu. So they really protect that area. That's good. Oh, yes, yes. It's very well protected. Now even more. It's, it's very, now I don't think you get permits to shoot there. Uh, well, you know, now with your phone, you can do video and all, but uh, professionally, it's very hard. So what was it like when you first stepped foot on those grounds? Did you feel a certain kind of energy? People say they do, you know, so I was just wondering. Well, it's very interesting that you asked me that question because um, I went with five members of the band. Uh, that the band was formed here in Los Angeles, even though we all were from South America, from Latin America. We ended up in Los Angeles in the 70s, 80s. So we formed the band in the 80s. Uh, one was from Argentina, one from Mexico, one from Colombia, and one from the U.S. Um, so we all went because I got few concerts lined up a touring crew to play there so we went part of the tour was to play in Cusco which is a city close to Machu Picchu so we played in Cusco and then we went to Machu Picchu and in Machu Picchu when we arrived I had been there before but they had never been there before when they arrived I, 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 they, I saw them they, they kind of disappeared for a while and then when they came back they all were like, oh, they said, well, this place is magical. I can feel the, you know, the vibration, the spirit. I mean, they were really, really touched. I mean, they had, they, those were the guys uh, who were, I mean, we, we drink together, we party together. They were never spiritual. Uh, but at that moment, they were. And uh, we, we talk about it later on, and they, they said they were very touched, very moved to be there in that area. They, I mean, they felt, you know, the... The, the the vibration the spirits and all of that that's very interesting mm -hmm. my sister went there i haven't been there yet someday i would like to go i guess it's quite a walk if you walk to the top of the temple and get all tuckered out huh <laughs> well, well it's uh it's not too bad now uh what, what happens is you go from cusco you take the train uh to to about three hours to a small town which is called aguas calientes and from Aguas Calientes, which is at the base of Machu Picchu, because Machu Picchu, the, the citadel is on top of the, on a mountain thing, there are buses, mini buses that take you all the way up there. And from then, from there, they, you enter the, 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 the ruins and they, you walk. But it's, it's not that, unless you want to climb, you know, the mountains around it to, to more ruins, then, then it's tough. But just for the major, the major city, it's um, it's pretty pretty easy just to, to walk around. The altitude's pretty high, right? Um, well, the altitude is pretty high in Cusco. It's uh, I think it's eleven thousand feet or something like that, and you you really feel it. But uh, Machu Picchu is uh, going down to the jungle area, so you start going down. 
So you don't feel the altitude when you're in Machu Picchu, but you feel it when you're in Cusco. Ah, see, I didn't know that. Interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah, because when you see pictures of Machu Picchu, you see a lot of green, you know, a lot of forest. Uh, mm -hmm. and that's the, almost like the, the, the beginning of the Amazonian rainforest. So it's still mountains, what they call it, uh, they call it uh, mid, uh, you know, uh, jungle or something, or, or, or high jungle, high forest. Uh, so still, uh, so the altitude is not that crazy, but, um, but still, uh, you know, it affects you a little bit, but not that much. I see. So I was thinking about getting back to your process recording music. Um, do you have your own studio or did you have to rent one out in Los Angeles? Uh, I, I have my own studio, um, with, uh, gear that I accumulated that. We all do, I think, uh, musicians or engineers throughout the years. I don't throw out anything. So I have a lot of you know, old mics and uh, preamps and a lot of analog, a lot of hard, hardware that I still, I, I like to see the, the lights when I turn on the equipment. So, but pretty much as, as you know, all the recording gear could be in a laptop. You don't need anything else. Yeah, well, obviously, you need a microphone, and, and that's it. But um, in my case, I, I accumulated a pretty good uh, amount of um, hardware. So I, uh, I converted my garage. Uh, it has a vocal booth where you can fit a, a drum set, a small drum set, and there I record vocals. Sometimes I've done drums, but I, I don't like to do that. So for that, I go to another studio. But um, a trio, I, I record here. And obviously, I do all my guitar work here. I do it myself. So do you have a lot of vintage equipment? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say a lot, like some other people collect, but uh, all, whatever I have vintage, I, I use. I have a couple of preamps and some mics. In fact, my, I have a, a mic from this. I, in fact, my, my, my father-in-law was... Uh, uh, he's a musician, and uh, he he just donated. He just gave me well, a couple of a year ago or so. His microphone, a very nice Sony, I think C37. Oh, you just the, the number escapes me. But that that's the one that Napkin Cole is used for for vocals. Uh, you know, with a two preamp, but it's it's a beautiful mic. I had it clean and uh, re refurbished, and uh, it, it's working really nicely. So I, you know, I got a couple of other ones like that. Uh, but for for my guitar, I don't use the vintage. I use the you know new ones. What uh, some of the brand names that you work with? Some of the what? The brand names. You know, do you have an Ovation guitar or something else, or what? What do you use? Oh, oh okay. Um, for guitars, I play um, classical acoustic nylon string. I Mainly, uh, what I'm using right now it's a guitar from Spain called uh, it's Teodoro Perez. Um, uh, I bought it um, maybe five years ago. It's a very be beautiful, very loud guitar. In fact, that's pretty much what I use when I record right now. I like it very, very much. It's excellent for recording. Um, for um, uh, for the, the guitar that I take on the road when I go play live, it's uh, mainly a Takamini that I bought 30 years ago for very little money. But uh, I, all the electronics are, uh, the pickups are 
new and uh, 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 refurbished, and uh, it's so it's a, it's it's nice. It's, it's a very nice guitar. It's as I said, it's an inexpensive guitar, but I think it aged with the years. I always think if there is a fire in my house and I have to take one guitar, it'll be it'll be two. This will be one of ones, which the, 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 one of the main guitars, and maybe the other one, the, the one from Spain even though the price is, you know, 20 times as much. Uh, but it's a, this is a beautiful guitar, and it's been for me forever, you know, when I tour, when I used to tour more, not anymore. So and then I have um, some other Spanish guitars that were uh, custom-made for me, and uh, a couple of electric guitars, because I used to be an electric guitar player, that, um, the, 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 the standard, the you know, Strat and... Uh, Les Paul Gibson and uh, all of those. I have a few. I don't collect guitars, so I don't have too many guitars. I played all of them. But uh, when you say I don't collect guitars, some people would say, yeah, that's a collection. But for me, it's not a collection. Collectors, you know, have rooms full of guitars, and some they don't even play. <laughs> I play all of them pretty, pretty often. So have you listened to Andreas Segovia at all or ever see him live? Of course, I saw him in the 70s. Uh, he was playing at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in Los Angeles. He was, I think, already in his 90s. Mm-hmm. And to the point that he had a, an assistant because sometimes he would fall asleep playing. So, <laughs> so he would fall asleep and then uh, this guy would come on the stage and waking up <laughs> and he kept... <laughs> He will continue playing. It was very interesting. I have never seen anything like that. I mean, when he was awake, I mean, he was amazing. He played amazingly. Well, I mean, he's Andres Egovia. But I, I caught him at a time, I, I think at the end of his career, when he was falling asleep. But uh, but at least I, that's, that's, part, that's part of my story. I can say that I saw Andres Egovia playing. Well, I saw him in San Francisco in 1987, and at that time he was in his 90s. Oh, okay. um, so, oh, so he, he must have must have been maybe in the seventies then. Um, okay. So so, they, yeah. so 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 the, so then maybe I saw him in the in the eighties. Maybe he was in the seventies because he was in his nineties. Yeah. If you tell me then in the nineteen eighties was in his nineties, I saw them in the eighties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he di- he died a year after I saw him, and I had uh, left California to come back to Massachusetts the following year. Um, it was definitely my goal to see him play. He was amazing. He didn't fall asleep, but uh, <laughs> he was, you know, you, you hear people in the crowd going, Viva Segovia! It was just fantastic. It was a small theater, and uh, definitely for me a dream come true to see such a master play that acoustic guitar, you know? So that's why, uh, you know, uh, I appreciate uh, music uh, Uh-huh. And where was that again? That was, I don't remember the venue, but it was in San Francisco. Okay. Back in, in 1987. Yeah. 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 Well, he he's he, he's the one who brought the guitar uh to back to life, I think, to the world. So, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Big influence. Well, it's been yes. so interesting and and wonderful to talk to you today, Ciro. It's been worth the wait. Uh this just I don't get a lot of opportunity to talk to people that play music like yours and are so worldly. I mean, you know, based on the fact that 
your roots are back in South America and Peru, and now you're in the big city and you've made all this music. It's just amazing to me, and I sincerely appreciate your time, and uh, we'll get the word out about this interview, okay? Sure. Yeah, thank you very much, and I want to thank you uh, for having me today here. Absolutely. Take care now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.